The following is a Bible study taught at First Baptist Church of Royal City, Washington. At FBC, we endeavor to handle God's Word accurately, that believers may understand what God is doing through history and what He has planned for believers in the present. We hope you will find this study helpful in better knowing God. More audio and written studies can be found at graceteaching.net under resources. And now, our speaker. I wrote our little Christian summary <coughs> diagram up here. We got arrow one, arrow two. We have the, the thought bubbles, and then the Christian moving forward in the Christian life. So if you're going to put verbiage to those arrows, number one, we're baptized into Christ at salvation. That's something I don't do. The Holy Spirit does it. Number two, I'm born again at salvation. I don't do that. The Holy Spirit does it. He causes me to be born again upon belief of the gospel. He puts Christ in me. Number three, the thought bubbles. What is the thought bubbles? That's setting our mind to things above. That is something I am to do. I am to set my mind to the things above to be saved in present tense salvation. Not in past, past tense, the Holy Spirit does that. But in present tense salvation, I am to set my mind on things above so the Holy Spirit can empower me. And when I do that, I'm being saved in present tense salvation. And last of all, upon setting my mind on things above, the Holy Spirit empowers me to manifest the fruit from the Spirit. So He empowers us to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. He makes those supernatural attitudes available to us. And they're not humanly produced. The Holy Spirit produces them. So we come to the book of James, and we've been going through the book of James, looking at things that explicitly point to positional truth and things that implicitly point to positional truth. And uh, we went through, we saw in chapter 1, there's so many things. We saw joy, faith, uh, love, meekness, um, all these different, and those are explicit statements of the fruit of the Spirit. And we already communicated with our little diagram here, and we've seen all through the New Testament, the only way how to have access to the fruit from the Spirit is if you set your mind on things above. So if it's given you, stating a part of the fruit of the Spirit, these people to access that, to appropriate it, to use it, they're going to have to get their minds right. Now, again, we've, we've communicated already, this review, that James was written very early. Um, might have been the first letter written. Um, we believe it was written after Acts 15. after the events of Acts 15. Now, what I want to come to today and kind of trace is what is this law of freedom? What is this principle of freedom okay, that James refers to in this letter? Now, I don't know that I can herald with authority, this is what it is, it has 10 points, and blah, 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 blah. I don't think I can do that because it doesn't tell us. Okay? But the people that James wrote to knew what it was because he doesn't explain it. He doesn't have to explain it. They knew what it was. Okay? 
So if we look over here in James chapter 1, let's look together. We're going to read down. We stopped at uh, probably about verse 21 last week. Um, for the, let's start reading from verse 20. For the wrath of man works not a quality of the righteousness of God. Wherefore? Now the wherefore tells you a logical progression, right? Wherefore? Because the wrath of man works not the righteousness of God, wherefore lay apart all filthiness of naughtiness or, or abundance of evil and receive with meekness the engrafted word, the implanted word. Receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Now, this is looking at present tense salvation. Your soul, you know, I, contrary to what many people say, they, they'll go out and they share the gospel and they, they call it soul winning, right? But we have verses that say the soul is the last part of you to be saved. It's the part that's saved when we're glorified. It, it's the part of us that's saved at the day of redemption, at the rapture. It's the last part of us to be saved. Our body being saved right before that. Upon seeing Christ, we were like him, and then our soul will be saved simultaneously. It will be the last part saved. So when it, the soul is used here, it's in the sense of, there's two ways you can take it. You can either think of, soul can be used in multiple different ways. It can be used of the, the emotional part of our being, where we interpret our five senses, but it can also be used in the sense of uh, your, your whole being, okay? Yourself. You were saved as an individual, okay? I believe what it's, how it's being used here is in the sense of, in present tense salvation, our soul is the part of us that the sin nature wars against. And in the context, that's what you have. You have the whole laying out of the thought processes that, processes that lead to sin, and even to the point of you have somebody that's being overtaken by wrath. But wherefore, take in the word, right, as it says here. And if you do that, it's able to preserve. This is save in the sense of preserving your soul, not letting your soul take you down in defeat. Because you listen to your feelings instead of your, where you're being empowered by the spirit. Everybody with me? Okay. Goes on, verse 22. But ye be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if ye be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like this one, this one that's a hearer and not a doer. He is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a mirror. Okay. Now, Today we have really good mirrors, right? You look in it and it pretty much is you, except it's kind of the mirror image, right? It's a reflection, you know? It's not a perfect image of you, but it's pretty good. Now in their world, they would take brass and they would shine it. How many of, a, how many of you have seen brass that's shined up to the point that you would call it a mirror? Mm -hmm. Have you ever seen it? Yeah, you've seen it? Yeah. yeah. That they would use these back in the day, and that would be a mirror. They'd shine up metal, and it would be pretty, nothing like what we have today for mirrors, 
but it's what they would call a mirror. It would have a reflection. All right. He says, For he beholdeth, verse 24, for he uh, beholdeth himself, and he goes his way, and right away forgets what manner of men, man he was. So the idea of looking in the mirror is you look at yourself and you say, that's my representation. That's what I'm, the world is going to see. They're going to see this person. Now, typically when you get up in the morning, have you ever, I do this all the time. I get ready in the dark pretty much because I don't want to wake Jen up. But I've learned it's pretty smart after I get ready in the dark to go into the other bathroom and turn on the light. Okay. Because, <laughs> you know, there's nothing like having gone to work for three or four hours. I come home and see Jen. And she, Have you been going around like that for the last four hours? People Have people looked at you? You know, maybe my zipper's down. Embarrassing. Or maybe I have toothpaste across my face. Or I have a sleepy bug in my eye. Right? And you're like... What kind of person doesn't even take the time to look at themselves and then do something about it? Right? And that's what you have here is you have somebody that look, they perfectly can see and they go act contrary to the person that was in that mirror. That's what this is saying. You don't act according to who you really are. Right? Verse 25. But whosoever looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continues, he being not a forgetful here, but a doer of that work, this man shall be happy in his goings, in his doings. That's a special blessing, isn't it, that James communicates? To somebody who looks, this word for look, it's to, this is the same word I believe that's used of the spirit beings who are looking into our salvation, they, they look into our salvation over in Peter, you guys remember that? Okay, here you're stooping down to look into it, you know, you're stooping down, I don't know, you ever, uh, I guess people going through the construction sites, you know, and they have them all blocked off for safety and they have, they might have, you can't see what's going behind until the construction goes above the fence, but you always the, everybody finds that little hole in the fence because they want to know what's going what's going on over here. Nothing goes on in Royal City, right? But then you have the fence and you have a hole, and everybody's getting down to look in there. What's going on? What's the latest, right? Well, that's kind of what this is. What is this principle of freedom that Christians, some Christians? Were, had heard about and were beginning to look into. And then James says, if you hear about it and you do it and you stay and continuing to do that, you'll be blessed. You'll be happy. What is it? What can we know? I don't know. We've already communicated. We don't know to what extent. We know they know a certain amount of the Christian life because James talks about it. But to what extent, we don't know. We know there's spiritual gift. We know Paul hasn't begun really doing a whole lot at this point yet. 
we'll get to that today. But he's begun to do some things. And there's a little bit of bubbling of truth that's coming out. Even this early. There's spiritual gifts that are operating. We'll see that today also. Let's look into this. Does it have to do with positional truth? Okay, we'll just let that sit. Let's let that sit. I want to follow a little bit of history um, in regard to um, this perfect law of liberty. Um, I want to start by looking in Romans 8. Let's jump over there. Is it possible that Romans 8 is referring to the same, maybe not the exact same perfect law, but something that is related to and included in? Romans 8, we read in verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. For the law, or we would better translate this the principle. This isn't law. Whenever people see law, they always think, Oh, Mosaic law. The only law ever given in Scripture is the eternal law of God. It's never called the eternal law of God. Number one, it was given by Moses, and it was a punishment on the people of Israel. Okay. It was a law of death and restriction, right? For the law or principle of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Okay, I'm going to make a hypothesis here today, and we'll see if we'll see if the Spirit says Amen. All right. My hypothesis is is that the law that James is talking about is either equivalent to this principle or included in it. This would be a more fuller explanation of the principle that James mentions. All right. That's my hypothesis. They're both in regard to freedom. That's the least I, we have to agree on. Because it says that, right? Now, let's look at some history. Let's look at some history. Let's follow some history and see if this sheds some light on what this law of freedom is. First off, when we come to just in general Christian truth, what of this little diagram do we know about before Paul? I'm going to propose to you all of it. All of it. Maybe not explained out in full detail, but all of it is there. If you go back in the upper room discourse, it's all there. It might not be spelled out exactly, but the germ truths are there. What does, what does uh, Christ say? You in me and me in you right so he gets that and that and what does he say he talks about in that day the spirit you will have right in that day and so the work of the spirit is prophesied in john 14 and 15 16. he talks about having much fruit much fruit more fruit more, I got the out order. Fruit, more fruit, much fruit. There we go. Right? And that you would have access to these things. 
A new commandment I give you. In that day, you'll have the Spirit. Right? So, in that day, and then fruit. So, really, every aspect of this is mentioned. Abiding. Abide in me. Abiding. Okay, that would be number three. Fruit. And the work of the Spirit through putting us in Christ and putting Christ. It's all there, folks. It's all there. It's all there. It's just not fleshed out and explained. Now, let's go back. Um, I'm not sure exactly how I want to attack this, but we're going to attack it. And we are going to try to uh, read through some of these things. Um, let's turn to Acts 15. Now, Acts 15 is what's called the first church council. All right. Which happens right around um, just before probably 50 AD. Um, right in there. I can't give you the date. But about 50 AD, probably. Um, maybe a little bit before that. And it tells you, And certain men who came down from Judea taught the brethren. And said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. So where are they when this, when this, uh, uh, these certain brethren from Judea? They're up in Antioch. Look back up in chapter 14. It says... This is after the, their missionary journey or apostolic journey. He says, And thence they sailed to Antioch, from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles, non-Jews. So non-Jews became Christians. All the first Christians were Jews. All of them. Okay. And there they abode a long time with the disciples. So they're in Antioch. Where's Antioch? Antioch is north of Jerusalem. It's up in Syria. What we'd call Syria today. Okay. So Judea came up. It says down, but that's just like we say, you know, I don't know. It's a, just perspective. Because Jerusalem is on a hill and everything was you're going You're going up to Jerusalem because it was the so most important city. referred to as going down. Yes, so they're going down from Judea, taught the brethren that they must be circumcised. So this circumcision, they were saying, you Gentiles need to be circumcised to be saved. Now the question wasn't whether they were Christians. The question was, now that you're a Christian, how are you going to live? Are you going to live like the Jewish Christians? Are you now some 
it wasn't really established yet that Christianity was different than Judaism. It was just considered a sect of Judaism. And, and in some people's view, it was a heresy. That heresy of the Nazarene. Okay. Now, I want to, before we read, actually, let's keep reading here. So in verse 2, When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them. So do you think there had been a little bit of an argument? Is that what that sounds like? Yeah, there had been a little bit of an argument. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them, we know from other places that Peter was there, and Titus. And we'll get over that later. That's, that's going to be recorded in Galatians 2. Right. Should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And being set forward on their way by the church, so they had, that's, this is a show of local church government saying, we are officially sending Paul and Barnabas and, two, and other witnesses, Peter and Titus. And they're going to go and get this dealt with, with by, from the apostles. Okay. They passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. This would be mainly Jewish brethren in those areas. They're all happy to hear that the Gentiles are getting saved. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. But, there's always got to be a but, right? But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees who believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and the elders came together for to consider this matter. And when there had been much disputing, much questioning, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the hearts, bore them witness, giving them the Holy Spirit, even as he did unto us. Just like he did to us, us Jews. He gave them to us. So what does that mean prior to getting him? We didn't have him. And now the Gentiles are getting him just like we did. In verse 9, and put no difference between us and them. Now we can just gloss over that statement like it's no big deal. But I think that's a big deal. Because what's the whole point of the people of Israel? Be separated out. They were separate. God had distinguished Israel from the rest of humanity. The children, the, the promised seed from Abraham, from Isaac, from Jacob, the 12 tribes. If you weren't of that bloodline, you were not, you were separate from the promises of God. 
And they're raised from that from a time, young age. They've been taught of that. They're, they're memorizing the, the Pentateuch. They're memorizing it. And they're living by it. They have it in little boxes tied to their head and it's on their forehead. All kinds of drastic things to make you different than the rest of the world. And here, you know, did Peter, was that, is this something that Peter glossed over? No, Peter says this, he's already been corrected two times in regard to this statement. So when he's saying this, he's saying, hey, third time's a charm, three strikes, you're out, and I'm not going to be corrected a third time. I get it. I get it now. Okay, so let's follow a little more history. Let's take a step back. We're reading this through kind of, kind of in a very hygienic environment where we have the scriptures and we have this all written out for us. That's not how it was for these people that experienced it. Okay. So let's read it. That's why we have it. Let's go back to Acts chapter 10. I'm going to try not to get bogged down. I have a lot of, there's a lot of reading in this message today. We'll try not to get bogged down, but it is very important that we understand this timeline and the, what happened. That's why we have the book of Acts. It's not so much a doctrinal book, though it has some doctrine. It's mainly, it tells us what happened in the early church. Acts 10. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian Band. So was this guy a Jew or a Gentile? He was a Gentile. Okay. That's why he's Italian. He's of the Italian band. A devout man. So he was God-fearing. And one that feared God with all his house. Which gave much alms to the people. And prayed to God continually. He saw in a vision about the ninth hour of the day a messenger of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius! And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, sir? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodges with one Simon a tanner. So Simon is staying with Simon. Everybody follow there? There's two Simons. Simon says, okay, no, that has nothing to do with it. Um, whose house is by the sea tide. He shall tell thee what you ought to do. So Cornelius has given this instruction. I'm going to send Simon. He's going to send people to go get Simon Peter. And you Gentile are going to send some of your people to go get this Jew. And you're going to get him to come here. And he's going to tell you what to do. You do what he says. Man, this is very cryptic. Can you imagine that today? I'm going to send some. You're, I'm going to send. I want you to send somebody to Moses Lake. They're going to find somebody over by the seaside inn over there. Bring him back here. And whatever he tells you to do it, I want you to do it. Don't call me a skeptic. 
<laughs> right? But we have some supernatural things going on here. It's, it, he comes to him in a vision. What is a vision? We know about what a vision is from our good friend Balaam, right? Balaam and the talking donkey. It's when it's like you're watching a movie. Your eyes are open and you're, you're dreaming, but nobody else can see it, only you. But it's so real that you're like, it seems like it's a, a whole thing going on. It's like a 3D movie right in front of you. Blu-ray disc. Yeah, a Blu-ray disc. <laughs> yeah. So it's super, this is what's convincing this to proceed. So verse 7, And when the messenger who spoke unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. So we go, he sits them down. This is what I saw. This is what we're going to do. Go to Joppa. You carry out my wishes. Go to Simon, the tanner. You'll find him. It's by Joppa. Okay. And you're going to get Simon Peter. So they go. On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew near unto the city, Peter went up about the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. So that's about noon. And he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. Okay? He fell into a trance. This would be like a vision. He has like an outer body experience. No, he's in his body, but he's seeing these things going on that nobody else can see. And he saw heaven opened and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth. So I, I'm, not a, I'm not an artist here, guys. So you, know, so you, have, you have a sheet. Okay. And then you, it seems to me you have this, it's knit. So it would be like a reverse balloon. Okay? Can you imagine that? You grab something and it has, you pick it up and you have something inside it and it folds up like a purse, kind of. Okay. It's knit, tied on the corners, and it let down to the earth. So you have this, it has a whole, can you imagine you're seeing that? And out of heaven is coming this big old bag. Right? It hits the earth and it flattens out like that and all of a sudden it's like the ark. <laughs> and where were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, eat. Wow. And you know, uh, actually says, uh, rise, Peter, slay and eat. Wow. And Peter said, not so, Lord. Not at all, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Is this some kind of trick? I am a Jew. I am the promised people, Lord. You promised us and you gave us the law. I love the Lord. How do you love the Lord? By keeping the law. I fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You're telling me to break your holy law? 
Peter was a good Jew. No, Lord, I have never eaten anything unclean or common. We have a problem, Houston. I can't do both things at once. I can't keep the law and eat these unclean beasts. I am in a predicament. You see this? But Peter said, not so, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Verse 15, and the voice spoke unto him again the second time. What God hath cleansed, call not thou common. So what's it saying? These animals are no longer unclean. Eat, slay and eat. It is me, the Lord, telling you to eat. So what I told you not to eat in the past, you can eat. Eat. You don't have to tell me twice. I'll start with a rib steak. I'll start with a pork chop, a nice thick one. Bacon. Bacon, yes. There was pigs there, unclean pigs. Give me that bacon sausage. Mm. Italian sausage in my lasagna. Mm. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. Right? But Peter had to be told a third time. He wasn't like me. I wasn't raised like a Jew. Okay, I'm not saying I'm better than Peter. I was, I'm a Gentile. I was raised eating pig. This was done three times, and the vessel was received again unto heaven. Now, while Peter doubted in him, see, there are animals in heaven. No, just kidding. <laughs> it's a vision. <laughs> there are, there is the living creatures. We know that. Um, now, while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate and called and asked whether Simon, who was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, he's pondering it, he's in deep thought, that's the idea of this pondering, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Behold, look, three men are looking for you. Arise, therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who were sent unto him from Cornelius, and said, Behold, I am he whom ye seek. What is the cause wherefore ye are come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, and one that fears God, and of good report among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by a holy messenger to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. Then called he them in and lodged them. And on the morrow, Peter went away with them and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the morrow after they entered into Caesarea and Cornelius waited for them and had called together his kinsmen and close friends. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down on his feet and worshipped him. And Peter took him up, saying, Peter raised him up. Stand up, I myself am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. And he said unto them, you know how that it is an unlawful thing. Now, this isn't unlawful in the sense it was against the law, but it was, it was not, it was against custom. 
It wasn't the way things were done. For a man that is a Jew to keep company or come into one of another nation. But God hath showed me that I shall not call any animal common or unclean. Does anybody have a different translation? Oh, that wasn't my translation either. I was just changing it to make have a teaching point. Where was his vision about human beings? It wasn't. His vision was about animals and what he could eat. But as he pondered on it, the Spirit made it clear to him he wasn't talking about animals. He was talking about human beings. Everybody see that? I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore came I unto you without gainsaying, without questioning. I asked therefore for what intent ye have sent for me. And Cornelius said, four days ago I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard, and thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa, and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon, a tanner by the seaside, who, when he comes, shall speak unto thee. Immediately, therefore, I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now, therefore, are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. Wow. That word for commanded thee is a military word. We're here, we're here to hear the things that are commanded thee of God. And we will do it. That's why he's, I am the centurion of the Italian band. I command 6,000 soldiers. And I have all, I am, I am a God-fearing, righteous man. I give alms to the people, the Jewish people. And I am praying to God, asking God. And God has heard my plea. And Peter, you're the answer to that prayer. <laughs> wow. Wow. God has not spoken to the Gentiles for thousands of years. And the silence is broken. We are beneficiaries of this, are we not? So we come to verse 30. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive God is no respecter of persons. This is kind of a revelation moment for Peter also, is it not? I perceive, having pondered the dream after denying it two times, he has to see it a third time, and he ponders on it in deep in thought, and he perceives that God is no respecter of persons. God in every nation, he hath fear of him. But in every nation, he has those that fear him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the sons of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word, I say, ye know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hung on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, 
not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify. See, he, they commanded him to preach unto the people, the Jews. And to testify that it is he who is ordained of God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, the one who believes in him shall receive forgiveness of sins. Wow. This is the first time this message goes to Gentiles. While Peter yet spoke these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all them who heard the word. They all believed it. And the Holy Spirit... And behold, immediately there was three men already come unto the house where I was, sent from Caesarea, Caesarea unto me. So the timing is another thing that is, is extremely instructive, that this is valid, that this is true. Okay. And the Spirit told me, go with them, nothing doubting. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me. So I didn't tell you there were six over in chapter 10, but here it tells you there were six brethren accompanying me. And we entered into the man's house. And he showed us how he had seen an, a messenger in his house who stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who should tell thee words, whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them as on us. At the beginning. What is he referencing? Acts 2. Acts 2. The same thing happened to us as what happened in Acts 2 at the beginning of the church, which was a fulfillment of John 14 and 16, where the Lord Jesus Christ told us we would have the Holy Spirit. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but he, but you shall be baptized by the Holy Spirit. He leaves out in not many days because it had happened. <laughs> For as much then as God gave them the light gift as he did unto us, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could hinder God? Who am I to hinder God? Well, uh, and the implication is, who are you to hinder God? Why are you mad at me for going to Gentiles when God told me to do it? Okay. So don't be mad at me. Be mad at God. When they heard these things, they held their peace. Okay. They kept silence. They shut up. And they glorified God. And so they're saying, yes, we agree. Something supernatural happened. And this is all valid. It's all true. The Gentiles are not dogs. God is no longer respecting persons. Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. They've changed their mind. And God has given them life. See. Now let's keep reading. Um, 
because we have another actor that comes onto the scene here that I want to point out. Because this also feeds into the narrative. Now they who were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen, that's back in chapter 8, where remember when Stephen was martyred? And who had been at the feet of Stephen? Paul! No, 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 not Paul. Saul! Saul had been there. So this is, takes place over probably about three or four years. No, probably about ten years. Probably about ten years. That had been a few years prior to what's going on here. So almost ten years after that is where we're entering in the story. Paul has gone to the, on the road to Damascus. Stephen was martyred. Saul was on the road to Damascus. He goes out in Arabia for about three years. <laughs> he comes back to Jerusalem and everybody, oh, this is the guy that killed Christians. Get him out of here. And they send him to Tarsus. And he's hiding away in Tarsus for probably about seven years. We enter back into the story. Okay. Now they who were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. Now is Tarsus within that, that region or is Tarsus a little beyond that region? Tarsus is a little bit beyond where this information is going. Okay, keep reading. And some of them who were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spoke unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas. Who was Barnabas? Where was Barnabas from? Cyprus. He was a Jewish Christian from Cyprus. Remember, he was the one that was behind the Acts 2, the Acts 4 or 5 debacle. Remember? Ananias and Sapphira were trying to copy him. He is the one, the son of consolation. They had sold a bunch of possessions and gave it to the church for the distribution, for to take care of the needs of the church. And then Ananias and Sapphira, they were filled with zeal. And they tried to copy it. And they misrepresented what they were doing. But Barnabas, we come to, this is the same Barnabas. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. This is up in Syria. Who when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all, that with purpose of heart they should cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit. And that word full is not the word fulfilling that we have in the Christian life today, but it's the mental control Holy Spirit. And of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then Barnabas departed to Tarsus for to thoroughly seek for Saul. You see that? Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church, and they taught who? Who's they? Who's they? Was it Peter? Did Peter teach? No, Peter wasn't teaching. 
Was it Barnabas? Well, maybe Bar Barnabas would be included here. At least Barnabas. But who's interesting here? Saul. Saul. The one that would taught, learn directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who would be the steward of the dispensation of grace. And they taught much people. And the disciples were first called Christians. They were first stylized Christians in Antioch. They weren't being called Christians in Jerusalem. They weren't being called Christians in Phoenicia. They weren't... Do you follow me? And what? why were they called Christians? Because when you live the Christian life, when you have this position in Christ, and Christ is in you, and you set your mind to it, and then the Holy Spirit empowers you, and live, you live out Christ's likeness. You live out eternal life, Christ's kind of life. You live the abundant life. And when you live that out, you can be called a Christian. You're one living with a special ability. You're living as one anointed by the Holy Spirit. That's what, this, that's what that means. Keep on reading, verse 26. And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. And there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there would be a great famine throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Now Claudius Caesar reigned from 41 to 54 um, AD. So that gives you your time frame there. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which they also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Now I'm not going to keep reading there. But now, let's see. Um, let's jump over. Let's jump over. So I, I mentioned that Peter had been corrected two times. We see one time here. God corrected him through that vision. And he said, don't call common what I've called clean. They're cleansed. And it was clear it was human beings, not just the animals. Eat whatever you want. Now, now did, did, was that a one-off thing? Did, did Peter go, yeah, I'm not. Yeah, he told me I could eat animals, but... I'm going to need another vision before it's like one of, you know, each time I need to be told it's okay. Or did Peter go, Oh yeah, I can eat animals. And he, and he postulated and hypothesized that, yeah, I can eat animals whenever now, which was it? Yeah, it was, he could eat animals whenever. Cause we have example of him doing it later. Okay. Cause lo and behold, guess who is in Antioch up there living like Christians with all those Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians up in Antioch, guess who we find up there with them eating like a Gentile? Peter. Peter. Let's go to Acts or Galatians chapter 2.
know, I've been wrong before. Everybody's been wrong before. We're all ignorant about something. And the minute you think that you know it all, you're, as it says in Scripture, he that thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. And, uh, you know, if you're a person that ever has to admit, hey, I'm going to have to swallow some crow. I, I said something wrong or whatever. Um, you're standing in good company. I, I, I mix some metaphors. Swallow your pride, eat some crow. Swallow your pride, eat some crow. There we go. Thank you, honey. I was just giving you a chance to correct me. Um, Paul is going to recount these events here in Galatians 2. Okay, He's going to start with Acts 15, but it's going to, he's going to go to events that preceded Acts 15. When those certain ones came from Judea up to Antioch. He's going to give you more information about who was there. Let's read. Chapter 2. Then 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to them who were of reputation lest by any means I should run, or had run, in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And that, because of false brethren, unawares brought in, who came in secretly to spy out our liberty. See that? This is going way back prior to Acts 15. Paul talking about a freedom, a good news of freedom. You see that? Okay. This would be about the same time as when James James is going to write after this event. Okay? You you still with me, folks? The liberty which we have. Oh my goodness. In Christ Jesus. Are you telling me James was talking about freedom in Christ over there in James chapter 1, possibly? Just because something said is said at the same time doesn't mean it is. But I think it is. That they might bring us into bondage. To whom we gave place by subjection... No, not for an hour. Not, I'm going to add something here. Not even a minute. Okay, that's our idiom, right? That the truth of the gospel might continue with you. My Bible cross references the, yeah. those two verses. But of these who seem to be something whatsoever they were, it makes no matter to me. He's talking about these false brethren. God accepts no man's person. Peter's vision, right? For they who seem to be something in conference added nothing to me. But contrary wise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, 
For he that worked effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. Wow. Is this where Paul is realizing his apostleship? I don't know. Or that his apostleship was just as equal as Peter's? The fact that he wasn't, you know, what does Paul say over and over? I'm the least of the apostles. I was born out of two, due time. He carried a weight upon himself for persecuting the saints, for killing Christians, imprisoning them. He carried a weight because of that. It tormented him to a certain degree. But his apostleship was no less than Peter's. And when James, Cephas, and John... Now, who would Cephas be? Yeah. Now, it's Peter. Peter had many names. Okay? You can call me lots of things. Just don't call me late for dinner. Right? So when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars... perceived the grace that was given unto me. See, they're recognizing Paul's apostleship. He had a spiritual gift, a grace gift. They gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go unto the, the Gentiles, the nations, and they under the circumcision. Only they... Would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was eager to do. Okay, now he's going to go back in time. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the faith because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. Now, what's that mean when you eat with some? Now, we, there's a lot of different things that come when you eat with somebody. You welcome into your, their home and you show them hospitality. You gather around a table and you, you know, in some Middle Eastern cultures, they, they don't have utensils and they actually dig into the pot with your bare hands. They grab the bread and they, and they eat it. And the other person's grabbing into the pot with their hand and they're eating it. We're all digging do you eat from the same pot with somebody you think is filthy, dirty? No, but these guys are digging in together. <coughs> They're considering themselves equals. We're all human beings. We all have the same color of blood. We all can be blessed of God equally. We all are blessed of God equally. So Peter was doing that. He was living that. He still had that vision that he experienced in nobody else. For before a certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and he separated himself. Fearing he was a... Why did he do it? This is again satanic attack. He was fearing them who were of the circumcision. So when did Peter learn about the roaring lion? Did he learn it back at the, the cross of Christ 
when he denied the Lord three times? Or did he learn it as a Christian when he had access to the armor of God? I think he learned it after. Okay. Here, he was again, he was affected by fear. And the other Jews hypocrisized. The other Jews became actors. The other Jews that were eating with the Gentiles, they also became great hypocrites. You guys know what a hypocrite is, right? That was in the old, in the old Greek plays. They would be have the person uh, that would put on a mask, and they, you know, no women acted at the theater. That would be considered uncouth. So when there were women parts, the the man would take a mask. And it would be, have the face of a lady. And they would play the part of the female. Now, did anybody in the audience think that that guy with a mask was a female? No. They all knew he was playing a part. And likewise, that's the same thing with it, the way we use the word hypocrite today. Oh, it's somebody that says one thing and does another. Right? Nobody's fooling anybody. You're not, somebody says they don't have a sin nature. <laughs> you didn't fool anybody. You're not even fooling yourself, right? You're a hypocrite. And you're condemned by your own actions, right? So Peter and other Jewish Christians, they were hypocrites. Likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their hypocrisy. So Peter, this is a malignant evil. Satan affects Peter. Peter gives in. And then it affects, it's a malignant evil. It spreads to other Christians. We're not equal. We're different. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly, they did not walk straight according to the truth of the gospel. And the gospel would be the grace gospel for Christian growth. It would include the perfect law of liberty. Because the, the truth is the truth that there's one God and we're united to Him and because we're in him, we have to have freedom from our sin nature. But by keeping law and showing respect to our persons, they are living out their sin nature. And they lose their empowerment and they stop growing by grace. And they start it being something that's established upon our own merit and our own standing, human standing. I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, lives after the manner of the Gentiles, and not as the Jews, why do you compel thou the Gentiles to live as the Jews? By his actions. Peter didn't say that. It was by his actions. Now you get into this justification of, if somebody teaches the right thing, but they do wrong, does that mean their doctrine is wrong? No, it just means they're wrong. Okay, and that's what Peter Paul's going to explain here. 
We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not declared righteous by works of law, but by the faith concerning Jesus Christ, even we have believed into Jesus Christ that we might be declared righteous by the faith concerning Christ, and not by works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be declared righteous. You but know, I never noticed before in that verse 12 it says, coming up certain men from James. <coughs> Paul goes into this disjunction starting at 16 about justification by faith or by works, which is what's in the book of James. Yeah, it definitely relates. Yeah, yeah it definitely relates. Um, but, verse 17, but if while we seek to be declared righteous in Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners. Is therefore Christ the minister of sin? Does our hypocrisy impugn Christ? Does it make him guilty? Does Christ, if Christ, if we're in Christ seeking to be righteous, but we are found to be sinners, is Christ now the leader of sinners? And now he's the leader of sinners. But it makes us pretty bad ambassadors. Absolutely. Verse 18, For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself... I! Christ doesn't make me wrong. I make me wrong. I'm the one that... I'm the fail point. I'm the weak link. That's what that's saying there, guys. So Peter is now corrected twice. Back to Acts 15. This is all prior to Acts 15. We were in verse 9. We picked back up at verse 9. And put no difference between us and them, purifying their heart, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, can you imagine Paul sitting there after he's confronted Peter up there in Antioch? And Paul's getting to hear Paul's getting to hear Peter correct himself here. I think this is totally astounding. Because it's not very often this happens. We get pretty prideful about things sometimes. Put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we, nor we, were able to bear? We were not able to bear the weight of law. Verse 11. But. Now, there's different words for but. There's a mild but, and there's a very emphatic but. And what, what do we have here? We have the emphatic but. But, in strong contrast, we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we... Now, who's the we? There's 
couple groups here, kind of, right? There's Jewish Christians and there's Gentile Christians. So the we here would be Jewish Christians. And who's the they? Gentile Christians. And the salvation he's talking about is not initial salvation. What salvation is he talking about? Present tense salvation. How we live. How we live as Christians. So Peter is making a very profound statement that was kind of shocking to Jewish Christians. Dare I even say to maybe even some of the apostles, the apostles to Israel that are Christians now, that are there, present in this council. And I'm going to say yes, because they, everybody kind of goes, after you hear something that's like game-changing, sometimes everybody goes, it, it, it's like, you could hear a pin drop. You ever heard that expression? That's Everybody shuts up right after Peter says this. He says, we shall be saved even as they. So right now he's giving acknowledgement that present tense salvation is different for Jews than for Gentiles. But in the future, at some time, we'll all be saved in the same manner. In present tense, we'll not, nobody will keep law. We'll all be living by grace. What an earth-shattering statement. Justin chapter 13, first time they were called Christians. It didn't happen in Jerusalem first. It happened in Antioch. Okay. This is the first time this is being heard in Jerusalem to this extent. Maybe it was to a couple apostles prior to this, but probably the first time in a larger audience is right here. Through Peter. Right? Wow. What a statement. What a statement. Right? Now, let's go back to James. Let me try to tie this up. There's a lot of time not in James to understand what this little passage in James talks about, isn't it? But sometimes that's what you have to do. We saw these occurrences that we were looking at was at the time, same time frame as when James was written. Okay, now I can't prove that James was written right after. This is inter interpretation. We're harmonizing Scripture. But it fits. And if the shoe fits... Why do we need to find another explanation that doesn't fit? Okay. We come to verse 25. Whoever looks, whoever's stooping down to look into the perfect. You know what that perfect is? Perfect is that teleos word. When something comes to its designed end. This is James admitting that the way the Jews, Christian, Jewish Christians were living, it wasn't permanent. It wasn't the all and be end. It was temporary. Just like a baby has to be weaned. It's a, goes through, a baby goes through a process of weaning. 
to stop drinking pavlum or the mama's milk. There would be a weaning of the Jewish Christians off of their old way of living. Okay. Whoever looks into that perfect law of liberty, the law of freedom. So based on what we have, I don't know if we've proven our hypothesis. In my mind, it's, it's proven. But it takes the Holy Spirit to say amen for it to be proven to you. You take all these passages, and what is this perfect law of liberty? And to what extent was it? On the smallest amount, it's I shall be in you and you shall be in me. The Spirit will be a comforter that's going to put all this together. You'll be able to ask. You'll be able to have fruit, more fruit, much fruit because of the work of the Spirit in that day. On the bare minimum, it's that. Could it be a little bit more than that? I think so. Because there were spiritual gifts that were filling out some of this information before it got written down by holy men of God. But as we saw, I, there was something I left out. Oh, I have to do it. They, I'm going to break a rule of homiletics. If you say you're concluding, conclude. <laughs> <laughs> but I left out a real key passage that I had. I built all the different uh, uh, foreshadows up, and then I just left it out. So I'm sure you guys have this like this little loose end hanging, right? That you're not going to be able to sleep tonight. So I want you to sleep well tonight. We're going to close up this loose end. <laughs> Turn to Romans 7. I'm going to tie up. We're going to tie up this loose end. I'm sorry. Um, another mixed metaphor that I messed up. Um, Romans 7. Now, I believe this Romans 7 is when Paul was in Tarsus. Okay. I believe this happened in those 10 years from when Stephen was, was uh, martyred to when uh, Barnabas goes and finds Paul up in Tarsus, Saul up in Tarsus. You have to figure out when this happened. It had to happen after Paul got saved, but before he comes to Acts 13 and comes to Antioch and he starts teaching them to live as Christians. And it fits when he's in Tarsus. And you hear nothing about Paul for about seven years. Nothing. In fact, when it says Barnabas went up there to find him, it says he had to diligently seek him. Now I've heard messages where people wax eloquent and they try to read into scripture and they say, oh, Paul was up there carrying out evangelistic services. Billy Graham. Millions were getting saved that he was saving the region of Tarsus for the Lord Jesus. Now, if that was the case, would it have been hard for Barnabas to find Paul? Or would it have... No, it wouldn't have been. There would have been little church here, little church there, little church there, little church there. Oh, we know about Paul. He's the teacher that teaches us all the things about Christ. The man from Nazareth. No, it wouldn't have been hard for Barnabas to find Paul. But the word there is that he had to diligently seek to find Paul. He had to search him out to find him. I believe that's because Paul was there learning in practice 
to put all those things that Christ had taught him personally. And he was learning to practice the Christian life in his daily life. And that's what we have to do too. How many, who here, they got saved in day two. They were living out Christ, manifesting Christ, exhibiting Christ, shining Christ. Let your little light shine. And you pulled off the bushel and it was shining. <laughs> no. We, we, we mess up. We fall. We trip. We crawl around in the dark. But Romans 7 you have. Read with me. Verse 7. They didn't have battery back then, did they? Yeah, I don't believe so. <laughs> Unless you watch. Well, I mean, you're crawling around in the dark, you might have a flashlight. Yeah, yeah. You're going, didn't. Some people will say the Egyptians had batteries or ancient aliens. Ancient alien theorists say. That's the History Channel. But now we are delivered from the law, verse 6, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in oldness of the letter. We're living by the spirit. We're not living by the law. That's what he's saying here. Verse 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it not be. No, I had not known sin, but by law. For I had known lust. For I had not known lust, except law had said, Thou shalt not lust. See what happened? This is telling the principle of the sin nature that says, if you tell me, here's the line, do not cross it. I want to cross that line because that's in human nature. Oh, you thought that was unique to you? You thought that was unique to you? No, all of us have that within us. We don't like to be told what to do or what not to do. None of us. The law was not given so that the Jews could be successful. It was given to show them they were failures. It was given to show that the sin nature is exceedingly sinful. It said, don't do it. And so the sin nature would rise up in power. You would do it. And you'd say, I'm a sinner. I need God. That's what it did for the Jew. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of lust. So it didn't. It wasn't just one lust. It was all kinds of lust. Once you said don't do it, it was like unleashing the beast. How do you get a sleeping lion to wake up? Right? Well, if that sleeping lying is the sin nature, you just give it a negative rule. Don't do. And that sleeping lion wakes up. For without law, sin was dead. Now, when was that a true experience for Paul? When was he without law? He was born a Jew. He was born under law. He was never not under law. So he was never alive without law until he became a Christian. So let's just stop all the controversy. There's a lot of people that think this is a pre-salvation experience for Paul. That's baloney. 
That's baloney. It's not possible. This is not the experience of an unsaved person. This is the experience of a saved person. Verse 9, For I was alive without law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Now let's step back again. Now I don't, Paul doesn't tell me when this happened in his life, but let's think back to his, his experience. What do we know about the experience of Paul? If you go back in the book of Acts, he was sent to learn under the, who was his teacher before he became a Christian? Gamaliel. 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 That guy. Right? He was the, the rabbi of Israel. He was in the, 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 the custom was that when a young Jewish boy that had promise, he would be sent to sit under the feet of the rabbis. And they would learn, memorize the Torah, and they would, they would, they would have to learn all these things, all these customs, even beyond the, the, the Torah. And they would, so evidently this is what happened to Paul. He was sent from a young age from Tarsus, he, can you imagine sending your little child off to Jerusalem to learn? Well, this is part of their belief system. And Paul was this individual. Can you imagine going back to your daddy after you had been being taught to be the teacher of Israel? You had actually been the bigwig that stood at the stoning of Stephen and all that dad I saw the light no he did he saw the light <laughs> trying to tell your dad that I'm a I'm a follower of that guy they call Jesus of Nazareth the one that you call a heresy uh, I'm I'm not just a follower of him. I am the guy. Do you think that would have been tough for dad? Yeah. Do you think dad was a strict follower of the law? I think so. I don't think I'm too far off to say that. It's pretty guaranteed fact that that's the case. Okay. So... I think we can place this in time fairly easily. This is when Paul goes back to Tarsus. This is where his dad was. And he came under that custom. Even if he was going up against it and knew it was wrong, it was everywhere around him. And he became a hypocrite. Just like Peter. So Paul also learned this in his experience. And when he talked to Peter... Just like we say, when we go like this, stop doing this, stop doing that, stop doing this, stop doing that, there's a big old thumb pointing back at me. And Paul knew that too. Okay. What's good for the goose, let me see if I can get this right. It's good for the gander. I don't know what a gander is, but it evidently is like a goose. It's a group of gooses. Oh, it's a group of gooses. Thank you. It's a group of geese. Okay, thank you. See how she said that wrong, just out of deference to me to help me out? Uh, what? 
Is it Danny or Mia? That's probably, that I did that for you. Probably not the most important. Yeah. <laughs> she did that for me, you guys. She knew that. And the commandment was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. No, it's not talking about physical death. It was that quality of death where he stopped living in Christ, experiencing resurrection life and being able to have the empowerment from the Spirit and the, the, the fruit of the Spirit and living that out. And all of a sudden, he was separated from that because his mind was no longer thinking on who he was in Christ. And though he had all, he still had his standing at the Father's right hand, and though he still had Christ living in him, he had no ability to experience that life that he possessed. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and it slew me. Wherefore the law is holy, and commandment holy, and just, and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me, may it not be, but sin that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Now I'm going to jump down. He sold under sin. Is that freedom? Is that liberty? That's verse 14. When you're carnal, you're not living by freedom. You're like the guy that looks in the mirror and walks away and doesn't live out who you are. Keep reading down. Look at down here in verse uh, 21. I find then a law, a principle, that when I would desire to do good, evil is still present with me. You guys realize that? Evil is always present with you, as long as you're in this body. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. This is the principle of how the Christian life operates through the mind. Okay? But I see another principle in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity of the law of sin, which is in my members. Is captivity freedom? No, captivity is not freedom. It's the opposite of freedom. But there's people that say, do what you want. You'll be free. Captivity is freedom. Do what you want. You're not able to do what you want. Living like a Christian is boring. All those fuddy-duddy gathering on Sundays with all those fuddy-duddies. Can't have any fun. They're all buttoned up. They can't express themselves. <laughs> see, they say you're, they say the exact. It's just like you see in politics today. They'll say one. They say you're doing this. You're doing it. They're doing it. They're doing the very thing they're accusing the other person of doing. True freedom is living in Christ, living out the life of God in activity. That's true freedom. And it doesn't come through negative legalist principles. It comes out through living out who you are in Christ. The fruit of the Spirit moderates your activity, and it's supernatural. It's not through legalistic restriction. It is through living out the life that God has given you. And James, who tended to lean towards legalism and was a little slow to give up legalism, he even recognizes this early, this early, that there is a law, a principle of freedom. And those that stoop to look into it will be happy. Right? Pretty awesome. And I, my hypothesis was that relates to positional truth, and I think it, it's proven 
And I think the Holy Spirit says amen. But he can only say that in your mind. Let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these. The, we're just so excited to look through these things. Your word is not boring. And it's, these people are not fuddy-duddies. They're not uh, unable to express themselves. In fact, they express you. They express your character. And uh, that's what we ought to be proud of. We ought to be proud. We ought to brag that you can do a work through us. It's your work. And uh, we ask, Father, as we, we take these things in, that we'd allow your Holy Spirit to change us from the inside out. Amen.